Well, good afternoon. Uh, before we um, uh, start, I have to recognise the elephant in the room. Uh, you might notice, uh, Price is going to be doing the sermon later, and you might notice uh, he's dressed quite similar to me. Uh, I have to say, it's really encouraging to say he's really accepting that English culture is his own. He's starting to dress more English, I think it's fantastic. Um, so it's a great start, um, and we're working on the speech, we're working on sidewalk and pavement, aluminium and aluminium, and we're just working on making sure he understands that. Football is played your feet and not in a tight outfit with a load of body armor. Um, but yeah, at this point in the service, um, we're going to be taking the communion. Uh, now the communion is the time where we take some bread and some wine um, and remember that Jesus died on the cross uh, for the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, if you will turn with me to Luke chapter 22. And we'll be reading from verses 14 to 23. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go, as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves uh, which of them it might be who would do this. You know, we remember his body in the bread that we take. Remember the body that was bruised and broken and beaten for us. We also take the wine to remember the blood of his that was spilled. The blood that washes our sins away because of the pure, innocent sacrifice that he made for all of us. For me, it's actually incredibly powerful just thinking about the effect um, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross has had for me. Um, And I think for someone like myself, because I've grown up in the church and I've been going to church pretty much for my whole life, um, that sometimes the communion, I can lose the kind of amazement and power at the communion, and it can almost become watered down for me hearing it so much. But I think that's nothing to do with what the communion represents. I think it's because I actually forget what it means for my life. And what it means for my life is not only have my sins forgiven, but that I get to go to heaven and be with God in heaven. I know it's it's sometimes in life it it gets challenging, you know, different things come up and you can get distracted with challenges. I know for myself there's always been a few challenges, but near the end of last year I actually lost a close friend from school who died suddenly in a car accident. And, you know, you kind of get thrown off completely um, and you completely lose track of things. Um, But I think it's in these times that there's a verse in the Bible that really resonates with me, um, and it's in Colossians chapter 3. It's Colossians chapter 3, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You know, this passage kind of, for me, talks about having this heavenly focus. Um, And the reason that that comes to my mind when we talk about the communion is that the whole point of Jesus dying on the cross for us was that so we could go to heaven. And that our sins could be forgiven, and that we can have a relationship with God, and then eventually one day we will be in heaven with him because of his sacrifice. I think, personally for myself, sometimes the concept of heaven can seem quite far away, um, and that because I always think, oh, I've got this amount of time, we all know that there's many passages that speak of you never know when the day will come. But there's always part of me that's like, well, I'll always have a bit longer, a bit longer, a bit longer. And so I can forget about heaven, and it loses, I lose my focus on it. 
But really, the kind of idea of heaven, going to heaven, is just such an exciting thing, and it should be a real great motivation for us. You know, and we do never know which day will be our last. I know there's been a lot of challenges. I've had like educational challenges. I've got along. If someone wants to ask me, I'll tell you about that afterwards. But um, there's been lots of kind of challenging times, um, and especially sometimes I've been challenged and I've had to see parts of myself that maybe I don't like. Um, and what I've really learned is that life isn't easy, and it's never been promised to be easy. Um, but I feel that for myself, if I had a more heavenly focus more of the time, I could really get through those challenges much better. And the idea and the excitement towards heaven is, I think, something that can really help us through our struggles. Uh, I'm now going to pass over to Ashley, who's got a few things she'd like to share. Um, this idea of hoping in heaven is, it is huge. Um, but I was having a conversation with a dear friend a couple of weeks ago, and very gently, directly but gently, she um, pointed out to me that I'm not a woman of hope that I live a life ruled very much by worst-case scenarios, that you could take pretty much any given situation, um, and I could tell you all the things that will probably go wrong. I tend to over-prepare far beyond what is necessary, um, and I expect bad things to happen. Um, I've never really felt comfortable when we have sermons about living life to the full or doing things that will change the world, um, because they're not things I've ever really desired that much. I, in my sinful nature, am very worried, very anxious, um, and I'd much rather live a life where at least it just doesn't hurt, rather than going for great things or aiming for that and, and, and wanting to see amazing miracles of God but risking disappointment. And one of the things that I think God has really shown me um, after I had this conversation with this sister about being a woman of hope is that faith is being sure of what I hope for and certain of what I do not see. And I cannot rightly claim to have faith in God or faith in Jesus and his death if I don't have hope in Jesus and his death. Um, But one of the amazing things to me about the cross is that it speaks to the very heart of my lack of hope. I don't like hoping because if I hope, it means I'm being vulnerable. Um, To admit that I hope for something means I lack. And if somebody knows what I lack or what I desire, then they can hurt me if they want to. But when I look at the cross and see that it was my place, I was supposed to be there, I was supposed to die, and Jesus took it for me, if he's already done that, there is no way that he would ever take my vulnerability in hoping and use it against me. He will never disappoint me, and heaven is not going to be less than what he promised, and I will not be put to shame, because he's already done everything to prove that he loves me more than he loves himself. And I think knowing that, and being able to come to that each week in the communion, that kind of security, a hope that will not fail in the death of Jesus, means the world to me. If you return me to our final passage before we pray for the bread and wine in Colossians chapter 1. And it's going to be verses 13 and 14. And it reads, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, as we take the bread and the wine, um, I really want to encourage you to kind of remember how God saved us and how he's forgiven us for our sin through the sacrifice of his son Jesus. And I really would encourage you that if, I know for myself that I don't have much understanding of heaven and it's something that I really want to study through more. I would encourage everyone to really look more at heaven and just see what incredible blessing that is in our life and just have that as kind of your focus on the day and just help it really get you through the hard times. It's going to be hard times, but when we think about the reward we have in heaven and the thing that God's given us through the sacrifice of his son, then I think that's a great thing that can help us to really rejoice and be motivated every single day and look forward to the day that we have our place with God in heaven. Let's pray for the bread. Dear Father God, I thank you for this bread that represents your son's body, Father. We thank you just for how just he was bruised and beaten and broken for us, Father, and that he did that for us, Father, that he had the power to to be saved from that, Father, but he decided that he would go through it just so that we could be saved, Father. We thank you just for that sacrifice, Father, for your love, Father. We pray just ever more so that you can continue to work in our lives daily. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.
During the passing of the wine, we'll sing the song, God is so good.
come the next Friday. It's a you can enroll at any time kind of thing. Uh, but as a church, we really want to learn uh, uh, more and more from God's Word and how to really uh, share it with others. And those will also be online uh, at our website, bourbonhamchurch.org.uk. Uh, so if you're unable to make it as a member of the church on Friday nights, please follow along online and use the packet. Uh, to do just that. If you want to go to another level, you can also go to CommonwealthAcademy.ca uh, and get even more thorough teaching from Ed Anton, who developed this program uh, in our church uh, in Hampton Roads uh, back in the States. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, the deadline for the student retreat and the team to sign retreat is today to sign up online at iccmissions.org. So I just want to remind the students and team disciples that deadline is today. The men's night is coming up on the 25th of Feb. Uh, food gains, six pounds per guy. Sign up with Tam. Where's Tam? I saw him earlier. Tam Kennedy right there. Sign up with him. Brothers, we hope to see all of you there and your friends. And then the Women's Day is uh, quickly approaching as well on the 4th of March. Uh, registration is open this Sunday and the next. And then the price will go up from five pounds to eight after next Sunday. So get signed up, sisters, soon for that and your friends and family. Uh, they do need more volunteers for different things, so see Sophie or Mwamba if you can help out. Uh, lastly, aside from the food bank we do every uh, first Sunday of the month, we're also working on helping feed the homeless uh, with uh, BCM. Uh, and uh, uh, you can see Lawrence or Vicky, who I think are back here somewhere, raise your hands, um, to sign up to help with that on Tuesday and Wednesday evenings. And we hope eventually as a church to do our own night running it on Monday nights. And so this is kind of our trial period. So please see uh, Lawrence and Vicki if you'd like to uh, help out and sign up uh, with that. Uh, as I said, we're jumping uh, uh, back into the Gospel of Luke. And uh, last Sunday, Roger did a great job. A great job of preaching uh, the text uh, where Jesus is baptized uh, by John the Baptist. And uh, it actually says, Luke notes some chronology here in Luke chapter 3. Uh, verse 23, that Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Uh, so that was very encouraging to me having turned 40 last year, that maybe life really doesn't begin to your 30. That was kind of encouraging to me, so I thought I'd throw that out there. But, uh, but, but it is exciting. Uh, Luke is he's turning a corner now. The main event is about to occur. And so he notes that Jesus begins his ministry at 30, and then he goes through Jesus' genealogy. Uh, and he ends it with Jesus being the son of Adam in verse 38, the son of God. Uh, and so um, uh, Luke now is setting the stage. Uh, we've had, we've had you know, prophecies. We've had prophets in the desert. Uh, we've had all kinds of excitement and anticipation building. Uh, and now uh, it's come full circle. So I hope we're excited to jump into the beginning of Jesus' ministry as a church. I got so excited about it, I grew a beard, because so, I just want to be more like Jesus. And I hope you want to be more like Jesus too, amen? And so let's pick it up here in Luke 4, uh, Luke 4 verse 1. We're just going to read 13 verses here uh, this evening. And kids, again, be ready, because I'm going to ask you a few questions. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. The text here uh, says, Jesus, now full of the Holy Spirit, Left the Jordan was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. A bit of an understated problem. Verse 3, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 9, The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered in verse 12, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. You know, it says here as Jesus begins his ministry that in verse 1, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. 
You know, often when we think of the of the Spirit leading us, we, we think of, of a much different place that the Spirit would lead us. We think of, you know, a holiday at the sea, you know, a, a Psalm 23 moment, you know, and green pastures and still water. But, but here we see quite the opposite. Sometimes the Spirit leads us right into the trials and the tests of life. And that's in many ways what the wilderness, I believe, represents if you go through all the Old Testament uh, with a lot of God's people, he uses the wilderness to refine them uh, and help them to become the men and women uh, that God wants them to be. Uh, and, and, and certainly you can, you can go through uh, your, your Old Testament Bible and see just that. And even John the Baptist, where was he preaching? He was preaching in the desert, right? He was in the wilderness too. And so Jesus begins uh, because he had to fully experience what we experience as humans himself in the wilderness for 40 days uh, being tempted by the devil. And it says that he fasts. Um, in that time. So I want to talk about temptation tonight because I do believe that, uh, you know, Jesus, of course, lived a perfect life and we could never live a perfect life. That's why we need Jesus and that's why we took that communion today. Thank you, JB and Ashley, for reminding us of the hope in the heaven, uh, you know, the, the, hope, the hope of heaven that we need to have. Um, but we can't be perfect, but we can strive to be more like Jesus and we can strive for perfection. And one of the areas we often underestimate and overlook is the battle of temptation. So I want to hone in on this. Uh, and I think the first thing to understand is that temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. Sin, biblically, it comes from a Greek word and it means to miss the mark. It's actually an archery term in ancient uh, uh, Greek, Greek. And uh, <clears throat> being tempted by the devil uh, does not mean that we have sinned. Um, James 1, verses 13 to 15 makes this clear. It says that... Um, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. So, so temptation precedes, it precedes sin. Uh, temptation is the choice of sin. Sin is when we deliberately choose the wrong thing. Temptation is the thought of the choice, if, if, if that makes sense. And again, Hebrews 4.15 says, Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet... Was without sin. Uh, and so Luke later um, in his gospel will say in chapter 19 verse 10 that Jesus came to seek and save what was lost. And so so it's interesting, Luke, you know, he starts his ministry uh, and the picture that he gives us of Jesus' ministry in the same way that Jesus will end his ministry. He starts uh, being tempted by Satan but yet defeating him. And then of course Jesus ends on the cross being tempted by Satan at Gethsemane but in the end also defeating his adversary. And Jesus, of course, came to undo Satan's work, to reverse the fall of mankind uh, that began in the garden. So, of course, that makes sense. Uh, and so, as with everything in life, from beginning to end, Jesus shows us the way of victory. Uh, and so, the title of the sermon tonight is, The Devil Never Made Him Do It. The Devil Never Made Him Do It. Because, again, we see Jesus, uh, you know, he, he shows us the way to win in life. And here, specifically, to win against sin. To, to, to get further and further away from a dead, hollow life that sin produces. And to become closer and closer to the life uh, that is full that Jesus promises. Uh, and so, so what can we learn from the Son of God here in regards to our temptation? Because he, as a human, was tempted. And we, too, as humans, are tempted as well. Uh, well, I think there's just two big ideas here. Two points tonight, kids, don't worry, we don't have uh, four or five. Uh, the first is don't be fooled. To really win against sin and overcome temptation, we've got to learn to not be fooled. And this is where I need the kids to help me out here. So kids, young men and women, future of the church, I'm glad you're with us tonight. Um, if, someone is, if someone is being a fool, how are they acting? That's my question for you. How does a fool act? Speak. Stupid, okay. Good word. Dumb. Bad. Any other kids here with an answer? The adults are stepping in here. We're looking for more. We're looking for more. Silly. Silly. Oh, good word. Good word. And here the Bible says, you know. We don't need to be fooled by the devil. Jesus has shown us the way. And so as adults, you know, we, we know it's stupid. We know it's, we know it's foolish, right, to, to, to see a t temptation in front of us and to know as Christians that there is a way out, that there is a better way. 
And, it, and it's silly, it's a good word, to, to continue to go after that when God actually has offered us something better. Thank you, kids, that was very helpful. And so here Luke introduces us to this character called the devil. The Bible actually tells us a lot uh, about the devil. Um, you go into the Old Testament, he's called Satan. Uh, that, that's a Hebrew word, which literally means adversary or accuser. You find it in Job uh, several times. The New Testament equivalent is the Greek word diablos, which we, we translate in English as the devil. Uh, and the devil shows up a lot in the New Testament. Uh, in Revelation 12, 9 and 22, he's also called the dragon, the old serpent, because of course it shows up in Genesis with Adam and Eve as a serpent. In John 12, 31, he's called the prince of this world. Uh, also in John 14, 30, uh, he's called the prince of the power of the air. In Ephesians 2, verse 2, the god of this evil world. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he's also referred to as the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. And so here, evil is given a name and a personality by Luke in the devil. Uh, whether someone believes in him or not, the Bible makes it very clear that there, there is some kind of force working against us. And the Bible will call that the devil or Satan. Uh, and so more than anything, we learn uh, as we look at the, the, the titles and the things that, that the devil has given that, that really the only power he has over us at the end of the day is temptation. He cannot make us sin. Uh, he can only tempt us towards sin. And we see here uh, kind of three areas, if you will, uh, in which the, the devil tempts Jesus, in which today he tempts us uh, as well. Uh, the first here, of course, is personal temptation. Uh, in verse 2, it says that Jesus undertook this uh, 40-day fast. And so in verse 3, uh, you know, he, he's hungry, obviously, it says in verse 2. So in verse 3, uh, the devil says that if you're the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And this is interesting because this is a legitimate desire. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. Of course, he's hungry. And in some sense, you can say, well, why would it be wrong? Why would it be sin to take these stones and turn them into bread? Well, perhaps the sin here would have been to fulfill uh, Jesus' own desires outside of God's will or timetable. Because we do know eventually Jesus will turn uh, uh, bread uh, you know, in the multitudes uh, you know, for the crowds, but it wasn't, it wasn't self-serving, that miracle uh, that he performed. And so sometimes our sin... Uh, that goes with temptation of sin is that we, 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 we give into our own desires outside of God's will or timetable. Uh, the second one here is, is, the, is the, the power temptation. There's the personal temptation and the power temptation. Uh, in verses 5 to 7, Jesus is taken uh, to a high place. It doesn't, it doesn't say where. Maybe it was Mount Snowden out in Wales. I, I, I don't know. Um, and Satan says, I'll give you all of this world if you worship me. And what's interesting is Jesus will receive all authority in heaven and on earth once he dies and resurrects. But Satan's just offering him a faster deal and a lesser deal right now. And that, of course, is a temptation because, again, that's, that's outside, outside of God's will. Yeah, you can have some power if you give it a temptation and sin, but you're not going to have greater power and the best power that God has to offer us. So there's personal temptation, power temptation, and finally, uh, pride temptation. In verses 9 through 11, he's taken to the pinnacle uh, of the temple, and Satan even quotes scripture to him, right, here in verses uh, 9 through 11. Uh, and perhaps uh, he was taken to uh, the part of the sanctuary, uh, which overlooks its very high part, uh, where the court of the priests uh, resided. Uh, and so perhaps Satan would say, hey, enter the temple for the first time this way. Drop yourself from this peak down in front of all the priests, and then everybody's going to believe that you are who you say you are. And so maybe the sin here is, is, is perhaps, you know, it would have been pride toward God because Satan is, is misusing Scripture. We'll talk about that here in a moment because that's not what this passage is saying. Um, but also pride toward man to use a miracle too early for the wrong reasons. He threw himself down in front of all the people in the temple. So we're reminded here of what Satan uses to tempt us. Personal desires, greed for power, and pride toward God and humanity. And so those are the things Satan tries to use that are in us, against us, uh, to promote sin. Uh, we can also see here uh, some of the forms uh, these temptations can appear in uh, as well here in the text. It's a very insightful text on how this, uh, this whole thing works. Um, uh, the first one is accusations. 
Satan often uses accusations to tempt us. Notice here in verse 3 and verse 9, Satan very subtly attacks him in his identity. To Jesus he says, if you are the Son of God. Now wait a second. If you are the Son of God, he is the Son of God. But Satan is calling him something else very subtly in his attack here. And it's an accusation, right? Are are you really who you say you are? In Revelation 12, verse 10, uh, John's uh, uh, revealed uh, by the Holy Spirit. uh, And it says there that he heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, referring to Satan, who accused them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. So this here says that Jesus, uh, Satan is accusing all of humanity day and night. He's relentlessly accusing us. And our consciences, our hearts, our feelings are constantly being uh, you know, uh, accused. And, and even sadly, sometimes we can do that with each other, can't we? As we struggle and, and strain and try to figure out you know, our righteousness and our sin and, and all those things, Satan uses that against us. But Jesus takes our weakness, our temptations as Christians and covers over it and even tries to change it. Satan, of course, tries to use it to lead us further and further into darkness towards sin and destruction. And the way I, I, I see it in my conscience, it's kind of like once you, once you believe the lie from Satan that you're not really a son of God, you're not really a daughter of God, you're not really as, as good as God has made you to be. Once you kind of get to that point, uh, temptation is much greater because what's, what's a little more temptation, what's a little more sin? It's kind of like when your room is really messy, what's one more item of clothing on the ground? It's already a mess. And Satan often, I think, uses accusations to do just that, to just wear us down and say, you know, you've already already messed up anyway, what's what's one more time? And that's the way it gets in our heads and gets us oftentimes to think that leads often to us giving in to sin. Uh, But I love love Romans chapter 8, verse 1. This is a a true statement that should push back any accusation that Satan brings our way. If we're a Christian, the Bible says in Romans 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so as Christians, we should not be fooled by these accusations. And we should cling to scriptures like Romans chapter 8, verse 1, when our head starts to play those games with our heart. So Satan fools by accusation. Uh, Secondly here, he fools by lies. He's just straight up a liar. Verses 5 through 7 you know, as I, as I mentioned earlier, he, he offers Jesus at this high place all the kingdoms of the world. And that was actually biblically a true statement. Biblically, God has given Satan that kind of authority. That he can offer he can offer things to people. And he can offer power. And to what degree, you know, obviously within God's will, uh, we don't know he can do that. But we do know that he has that kind of power. So there was some truth in what say, Satan was, was saying. But of course, he didn't mention uh, you know, uh, the limits of that power uh, and the way that God could obviously thwart that at any time uh, and place. But the other thing that is really interesting about this is, is it's a bad deal. It, it's, really not, it's really not the deal that God wants to give Jesus um, in the end. Um, and so it, it's funny because in, in the post-resurrection account, in Matthew 28, verse 18, says Jesus came to them as now the resurrected Christ and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so Satan, he's he's not offering them a very good deal here. You know, it's a you know it's 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 a, it's a you know 2004 Toyota when you can have a brand new 2017. You know, it's it, it's a lie, and sin is sin is always that way. It it it, 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 it sounds great, but it, but it's actually empty. It looks really good, but you open up the the wrapping and, and the box, there's nothing in there. You know that, that that's how sin is. And that's all Satan can really offer us in the end. So he, he is a liar. And as Jesus says in John 8, verse 44, he is the, the father of lies. And his native language that he speaks in is that of lying. That's, that, that's his language. It's not French. And it's, it's not Romanian. It's not, it's, it's not English. It's lying. That's what Satan speaks over and over and over. So Satan fools by accusation, by lies. And lastly, here he, fool, he fools us by opportunities. Uh, which is also quite interesting. Uh, verses uh, 2 through 3, as I said, 40 days of fasting, being tempted by the devil. Jesus, you know, he's hungry. And so Satan tempts him to, to take this miracle in his own hands to turn stone to bread. Uh, and so he's praying. He's praying on Jesus' weakness, right, uh, in this moment. Um, and, of course, uh, he'll do that again uh, at the end. 
as Jesus is about to go to the cross in Gethsemane, he again tempts him, right, uh, to, to not go to the cross. Satan uses opportune times, deaths, sickness, relational failure, financial problems, fear, fear of the past, fear of the future, persecution. He uses all these things to tempt us to sin. And what's really wild is he, he even tempts us through success. What's just happened to Jesus? He's been baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And God says, this is my son publicly for the first time to whom I am well pleased. Things are going pretty good for Jesus as he rolls into chapter 4 verse 1. And boom, the temptation comes. Proverbs 27 verse 21. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. But the people are tested by their praise. Satan is he's an opportunist. In verses 9 through 11, as I already mentioned, he even uses scripture. He uses, even uses scripture, he misuses scripture, I should say, as an opportunity to tempt us to sin. Of course, this is a misinterpreted scripture. It's Psalm 91, uh, verses uh, 11 through 12. Uh, I wrote there on the bottom. Um, you can look at it later. Uh, but Psalm 91, verse 11 through 12, if you read it in context, is, is referring to God's protection of his people, not our ability to, 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 to use his promises of that protection to, to, test, to test him. That, you know, will he provide? Uh, and so it's just a, mis, a misuse, a misrepresentation of that very passage. Uh, but Satan is crafty. He even uses the Bible. Uh, when he can in an opportune way. And of course today, many churches uh, you know, promote false doctrine in many different ways. And, and again, that's another example. You know, and may that never be said of our church, that we teach the right doctrine. Uh, we use the scriptures uh, the right way always. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 8, you can see it up in the main there, to the left. Kids, you see that? You see the 1 Peter 5, you can see it in the main? <laughs> It's a great reminder of, of what's going on here, right? 1 Peter 5, verse 8. He says, There be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And lions, uh, typically, if you watch enough National Geographic Channel, uh, who do they prey on? They prey on the young and they prey on the weak. Uh, literally, you know, out, out, you know, out, on, the, out on the Serengeti. Um, and I think in our church, you know, that's, that's Christians who are struggling with things, going through real challenges. Uh, and particularly, I think of just new Christians. You know, as a new, newer Christian, you're forming your faith. Uh, you know, and, and so you're a bit weak and, and you're getting that stronger and stronger as you go forward, of course. And you're also just young. Your perspective is just limited. You've only been a Christian for a little while. And so, so of course, Satan wants to pray uh, on new Christians. And I never forget as a new Christian. You know, I just love my newfound faith. I was so excited. And just when I look back on it, it's just, it's mind-blowing the amount of times I'd never been hit on by a woman until I became a Christian. And then it was like back to back to back to back. It's like, what is going on here? My looks have not changed. This must be something else. And and now I know when I look at this passage exactly what that was. Satan was trying to set me up for a great fall. And praise God, I saw through the temptation, amen, and waited for a godly woman that I married uh, years later. Uh, you know, uh, all these amazing job offers, you know, because I was a struggling student trying to, you know, work 30 hours a week and pay my bills and go to school and be a disciple of Jesus. And I get these amazing job offers on Sunday morning while church was going on, you know, and back to back to, you know, it's just amazing when I look back on those things. Uh, Satan was just, he was trying to take me out like a, like a, you know, like a, a, a lion on the prowl, hiding in the bushes, just, just waiting to pounce on my newly formed faith. So if you're a younger Christian, you know, watch out for those things. You know, uh, the church can help you work through things as, as, as Satan, you know, comes your way. And if we're older Christians, let's not be fooled. The lion can take out the strong and older gazelle as much as the young one. He's a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger, dare I say. And so let's not be proud. And let's not get all, you know, oh, well, you know, this is very primitive thinking. You know, I, we're, we're more advanced now as Christians. We don't need to worry about the devil. And, don't, don't buy into that. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual war. And we have an enemy. We have an enemy. That's literally what First Peter 5, that's literally what First Peter 5 is talking about, how we have an enemy. And he's looking to take us out. Any of the kids here ever live, 
live among lions? Any of the kids here done that? You actually live where lions live? None of you? Well, I actually have. I lived where lions lived for 24 hours. Thank God it was only 24 hours. I went to Amboseli National Park on the border of uh, Kenya and Tanzania. I went on Hope Youth Car in Kenya. We got to go down there for a day in 1997. So we got to go out on safari and see the lions. And they were always laying around. You know, they were just being lazy during the day. They didn't do much. But I was still nervous. And I was in this, you know, van, you know, safe and secure and, you know, watching the lions. But just remember thinking, whoa, you know, this is, this is crazy. Um, uh, you know, uh, another time we went to a, a Sydney Zoo called Taronga Zoo. Uh, Val will remember this if she's paying attention. And, uh, and we, we were, you know, it was the end of the day and they, were, they started feeding the animals. And they actually, you know, when they feed the animals, they're all really awake and alert. And, and we went to the, the lion cage. And it's just like a glass, you know, they have a glass area. You can see them really close. And, and the lioness, she come right up to the glass. Her big old head, I mean, it was just like this big. And we literally walked up right in front of her. And I was like, this is what it looks like when you get eaten by a lion. My daughter, this is amazing. You know, it's just, but just, just, whoa. And I, and I think about that. And I think, is that how I approach my life with the evil that's all around me? With all the temptations that Satan is bringing my way day in and day out, we've got to be smart. Don't be fooled, brothers and sisters. And Jesus here, he's shown us the way. He's shown us a better way. And we can find those ways and we can overcome sin in our lives. Amen. So don't be fooled and finally get schooled. Don't be fooled. Get schooled. There it is. Amen. Click your school of me. Um, you know, as powerful as Satan is, uh, as I said, we can win. We, you know, we can defeat him. Jesus, he's bought the victory for us through his blood, through his death on the cross. Uh, but we've got to learn. We've got, we've got to understand. We've got to go after these things. Um, and why does Luke recall this, this account? I don't think it's because, oh, Jesus almost blew it, you know, and we just want to let you know that. I think he's, he's showing us that Jesus was human, yet he overcame. And you, too, can overcome if you're willing, if you're willing to allow him to teach you. If you're willing to, to sit at his feet uh, like a good student in class, he indeed can get us through the challenges. The New Testament, well, the New Testament, that's written really well. The New Testament is full. It's actually full of passages. Full of passages that, 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 that say just this. Um, I thought I had that slide. Man, I'm having technical difficulties here today. Um, 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says that in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We're, we're not unaware of his schemes. We just went through them, didn't we? Uh, Ephesians 6, uh, verses 10 through 11, it says, You can put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And again, James 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So 2 Corinthians 2, 11 Ephesians 6, verse 11, and James 4, verse 7 say, we can win against the devil. You know, we, we've got help against the lion through our relationship with God. And so what can we learn here uh, from our great teacher here in this passage? Uh, three quick things here as we close out. Uh, the first is you've got to learn to use your sword. Chapter 4, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 12. Three times Satan tempts Jesus. Three times he combats Satan with the word of God. The word of God, right? Hebrews 4 verse 12 compares the word of God to a double-edged sword. And it talks about how it judges the thoughts and attitudes, right, of our heart. You know, we must learn to fill our minds with the word of God in this battle. We've got to constantly fill our minds with, with God's word. Uh, and it's quite interesting in Ephesians 6. It says, put on the full armor of God to take that stand. But then later in verse 17, all the things that it mentions, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, but only one of them is offensive. All the other ones are defensive. The offensive thing that we use against Satan's attacks is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. But we've got to get it out. We've got to use it right uh, when those temptations come our way. Studying, memorizing, quoting, digging, meditating on God's word is a major way we win against sin and temptation. The second way we get schooled here is we've got to find your way quickly. Quickly find your way. Jesus responds immediately to Satan all three times with the word. In verse 4, verse 8, and verse 13 again. And I love 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. 
Uh, Paul says there, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He would not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So, so, so God has provided a way. You can succeed when you're tempted. Uh, but I have learned, and I'm sure many older Christians can verify this, the way out is early. Once the temptation is there, you've got to act. Once the temptation is there, you've got to decide to go toward God and away from the devil. The longer it sits there, the sooner you're cooked and you're going to give into that sin. And it's not going to go well for you. There's a story of a young farmer. He had a Christian father, and the Christian father, you know, represented, you know, the Christian faith to him. And, and, and the son knew if he wanted to stay on the farm, he's going to have to become a Christian and take over, the, take over the farm one day. And he didn't know if that's really what he wanted. He was tempted by the world, so he would go out to the fence of his dad's property every night and sit on the fence and think about leaving and going for the world and never being a Christian. And, and then he'd go back home and he'd come out again. And, and eventually one day as he's sitting on the fence, Satan shows up. And he says, come on, you, you, you need to come with me. And the son says, you know, I, I'm, I'm on the fence right now. I'm not, I'm not sure I really want to come with you. And Satan says, oh, no, 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 no. I own the fence. And I think a lot of times we think, oh, I can kind of just play with this temptation. I can heat fire on my lap and not get burned. No, we're going to get burned. We've got to quickly find our way out. And Jesus does just that here. And the third and final practical here is remember that God understands. You know, we live in a fallen world. Uh, God does not, he does not condemn temptation. Uh, he knows that we're going to struggle uh, with just that. Uh, he does condemn sin. And praise God, he sent Jesus to redeem us uh, from our sin. Uh, but I believe that, you know, Luke mentions uh, that Jesus was hungry uh, in verse 2. Not, not to overstate the obvious, after fasting for 40 days, of course, he was hungry. I think Luke states in verse 2 that Jesus was hungry to remind us of his humanity. To remind us that he felt what we feel. He, he felt what we feel. Uh, and then in Hebrews 4, this summarizes this whole point quite well, right? In verse uh, 14 to 16, it says, Since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so we see here that you know Jesus' temptations, you know, they, they allowed allow him and allowed him to be gracious to us and ours. That as we're tempted, Jesus he sympathizes with us. He wants to help us. And you know, as we're tempted with sin, because he too knows what it feels like as a single to fight for purity. He too knows what it feels like, you know, uh, you know, as an older adult to, to go through physical challenges. He too knows what it feels like to grow up in a family uh, where mom and dad are not perfect. You know, he, he, knows, he knows all those things. And yet he did not give in to sin. And I, and I never really thought about this before. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's grace uh, when we're tempted and we, and we actually do sin. And, and amen, praise God for that, that we have grace once we do sin. But there's also grace when we are tempted. According to this passage, it's actually really encouraging. If, if, if we come to Jesus on the throne of grace with confidence, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's referring to our moments of temptation. Because a lot of times we feel, we feel bad about the temptation. And we don't go to God in prayer at that point. We don't go to our Bible. We don't text a brother or sister and confess that we're tempted. We just feel bad. We, we have ungrace, a lack of grace on ourselves at the point of temptation. And then Satan will use that, going back to accusation, oftentimes to push us then towards sin. But Jesus, he, he's pouring out grace everywhere all the time toward us, even in our temptations. According to Hebrews 4, he's pouring out grace to us. And if we can go to him more and more with our temptations, we can start to receive that help in our time of need as well. So those are just some great practical things uh, we really can be, be, be learning and growing in from Jesus and his example here in Luke 4 as we are tempted. That way we don't get fooled. We've got to get schooled, though. We've got to learn. And I think for the older Christians, we've got to keep learning. I think we think, oh, yeah, this is, 
This is, uh, you know, Righteousness 101. Thank you, Forrest. I already have this figured out. This is new Christian stuff. Thanks for speaking to the new Christians tonight. That's my American voice now that I'm in England. Um, no! Older Christians, we need to hear this. We need to be reminded of this. We need to be victorious. We need to, we need to be repenting more and more to be more and more like the Son of God. More and more holy. More and more like Him. That, that should be our future. But when we start to get cynical, when we start to get foolish, when we start to get proud, we start to go back the other way. And that, that's not God's plan for us. No way. No way, no how. Through the blood of Jesus, we could be different. And for the, the younger Christians in, in the audience, it's very important to, to, to go to the school of Jesus here in this area. Because you, you may not be here anymore. Because you don't, you, don't, you don't imitate him here. You may not be here in six months. You may not be here in six days. Sin will take you further than you want to go and cost you more than you want to pay. And it's empty. Young kids, it, 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 it's empty. There's nothing there. I, I didn't become a Christian until I was 19. And I wish I had become a Christian when I was 12 or 13 as soon as possible. Because I could have avoided all the mess that my sin as I gave into that temptation more and more as a teen uh, brought me into. So I think it's really important, uh, you know, not to uh, not not to belittle these lessons uh, as brothers and sisters and as a church. You know, let's get schooled. Let's get schooled by Jesus here, uh, so we can see more and more victory in our personal lives. Let's get schooled more and more as a church that we love what God loves and we hate what God hates, and we don't freak out about temptation. We deal with it. And we get to Jesus and we find the victory at that point. If we can train ourselves more and more in that way, we're going to see more and more victory. And yes, amen, we will still fall short. But the blood of Jesus will clean, will clean that up too. Uh, his grace is prevalent in all areas and all ways. The devil, the devil never made him do it. May we learn from Jesus' example here how to win against sin more and more. This week, let's apply this. Let's apply this and find more and more victory. Don't be fooled. Get schooled. And the burden of Church of Christ said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Control thing. Control thing. Control thing.